welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is February the 5th, 2020, and I'm coming to you from Chennai, India. Well, before I left, Dr. Rick was willing enough to sit down and teach uh, for the Defender podcast audience his curriculum on how to disciple a child from hard places. And while this is an abbreviated version, I hope that these words and this material will minister to your hearts because I know for many of us, our children have come from hard places. They have have come from places where they need help, they need support. And Dr. Rick does a great way of connecting biblical principles to practical reality of how to reach the heart and to disciple the hearts of our children who have come from hard places. But before we get to Dr. Rick, I want to remind you that in the month of February is Valentine's Day. And here at Lifeline, we think Valentine's Day is a great opportunity to share God's love with those around us. We've created some printable Valentine's cards that are great to send with treats to your child's classmates or to spread some cheer with your coworkers. And if you'll head over to lifelinechild.org backslash valentines, you can get your free cards today. And so these are just a way for you not to have to go to the store or pick up those cards up at the drugstore, but to find a way to go to your home computer or or whatever device you use and to download these cards and use them not only to spread love, but also to spread the love of the gospel of Christ Jesus to those around you. So head over to lifelinechild.org backslash valentines. Hi there, this is uh, Rick Morton. Excited to be joining you today to talk about the topic of discipling children that are coming from hard places. Um, One of the things that we really believe in very strongly here at Lifeline is the idea that the the home is is really God's design for the center of disciple-making. And so when we think about um, the work that we do in adoption and foster care and entering into the lives of kids um, who've come from hard places, is that a big part of the task and a big part of the challenge in in meeting those needs uh, of our children is really to place them in a position where um, ultimately they're they're going to um, to be well positioned to be able to know and to follow Jesus. And so we're gonna we're just gonna dig into that topic a little bit today. Talk a little bit about um, some of the whys behind um, why we do what we do, and 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 why it's so important uh, to understand um, trust based relational intervention and trauma informed care and those kinds of things. And 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 the fact is that 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 is a there are spiritual consequences for the way that we parent our children uh, who've come from hard places, even as um, even as there are uh, practical considerations of behavior and, and all those kinds of things. First thing I think I would would want to say is is just to make a, a comment that um, while while some of the things that I may say here today may um, may be a little bit may be taken a little bit negatively. Um, 
that the truth is that everything that kind of it, that underlies this and the assumption is that um, that discipleship with children coming from a hard place is a daunting challenge. Um, but the truth is that raising children to know Jesus and discipling them to follow Jesus under any circumstances is challenging. It's it's a it's a journey that that really seems insurmountable, and it is insurmountable for us in and of ourselves. Um, this is work that ultimately we cannot do alone, and we are reliant upon God's intervention and and, and the, the the strength and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and ultimately the work of the Spirit in the lives of our children. And so, what we're what we're saying is that like what are the things that God can use us to do in the lives of our children in order to to be a part of the process that that God is about in in drawing and convicting and and in working in the lives of our children from a scientific perspective, we can kind of look at, at research. That, and, and current research tells us that there there is evidence that there's a positive correlation between secure attachment and a positive relationship to God. Um, and, and taking that outside of research speak, what that means is, is that the more securely attached a person is, the more likely they are to have a positive relationship with God. Um, I kind of filed that under um, some things that our, our dear friend Karen Purvis used to say. She used to say all the time, I love it when science catches up to God. And, and what we know is that um, that truly there is a link between healthy attachment and developing a, a robust faith in God. And on some level, that just kind of seems like common sense, um, but it's not just common sense. It's something that's validated by the observation of, of science. And and so we're gonna we're gonna delve in and talk a little bit about some some things that we that we know um, that that really come from the from the modern discipline of, of psychology. And I know in some circles among Christians, it, it's it's. Um, it's a little bit controversial. Some people, there's a skepticism um, about, um, you know, relying on psychological theories and, and relying on science in these areas. Here's, here's what I would say is that psychological theories are basically based upon the observations of human behavior. They're, they're just based upon trends that we can see and commonalities that we can see uh, in, in human behavior. People act the way they act and there are common patterns in that. And, the, the fundamental difference, I think, for us as a Christian is it's how how do we interpret the data that's gathered from those interpretations? And I think where we get ourselves into trouble many times in in the understanding of psychology, the understanding of psychological theories, is not that the observations aren't valid. It's the conclusions that are reached um, are differ greatly from those of us who have a Christ-centered worldview. And and so the question we really need to be asking as, as we look at that is... Um, how is what we see explained from the perspective that God and His Word are true? And and ultimately, we can see some things that when we approach this from the perspective of how is God, how are God and His Word true, uh, there's some things we can draw from, uh, from, from psychology and from scientific observation that can be really helpful to us in, you know, in understanding the ways that we can approach our children and, and help to, to unlock their hearts as, as we point them toward Jesus. So if you've ever taken a high school psychology class, you're probably familiar with the work of a, of a theorist named Eric Erickson. Erickson helped to identify the, that that there's the this kind of this most basic tension that has to be resolved in the infancy that was called that's called trust versus mistrust. Um, 
and 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 we know that there is there is validity to that 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 the that the most basic fundamental crisis that that a young child needs to resolve is is this sense that um, that that the world is the world is a place where they will be protected where they can be secure and that's done because trust is established through a through meeting a child's needs regularly and so when they're hungry we we feed them when they're dirty we change them when they're fussy we comfort them and we continue to come back over and over and over again and what they begin to learn is that that my primary caregiver is going to be here and meet my needs and so therefore I can relax and trust that because because this is a pattern that that that's established and reestablished over and over again um, and actually is is fundamental in and wiring the way that our that our brains work, but when a child has uh, when that's not happened, and when there's poor caregiving and uh, early trauma, even uh, prenatal trauma, what what we see is that that basic sense of trust that that God designed, God placed piece of development that sits at the foundation uh, for every child is is short-circuited. Um, and, and to lack basic trust nearly always establishes a preoccupation with, with the self and with self-protection, that, I'm, that, that kids are always on guard, that they're always trying to, to look out for themselves, and then even unconsciously that they're behaving in ways that, that, that ultimately are about not trusting others and not relaxing and, and, and not, not giving themselves into the hands of others to be trusted. And what we know is that that when that basic level of trust um, doesn't exist with with people, um, and and they and kids have a basic sense of mistrust, then that's passed on to not just to other people, not just to parents, not just to other caregivers or other authority figures or other people around them, but that's ultimately passed on and transferred to their understanding and their picture of God. How in the world can a child? Um, trust and and relax and trust themselves into the hands of an of a loving loving heavenly father when when they really struggle at a fundamental level trusting anyone and and can't see any anyone outside of themselves that uh, that, that that they can ultimately relax and and not have to be on guard for and so, um, so that's you know that's a that's a fundamental piece um, of of this equation as we talk about. And so, when you have social workers and other professionals that are that are that are coming to you and talking to you about sometimes going to absurd lengths in uh, in the life of your child, you feel like you're being asked to parent in a dramatically different way. You feel like you're being asked to parent against um, against the way that you were parented, perhaps, and and that. That you're that you're being you're being asked to, um, to to treat behavior or to do discipline in a way that you find challenging. Ultimately, the answer to this is is that we're what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an environment where where a child begins to build that basic sense of trust, but they're building it out of order and out of sequence from when God's natural designed way of them learning that was um, you know was was in place. 
And and so and so when we do those things, we need to know that the work that we're doing is ultimately really a high stakes spiritual enterprise, and and that we're we're doing work that has implications ultimately for our kids um, to to know and to follow Jesus. And so you know, I remember at one point, and and we laugh about this at times, but I remember at at, at a point sitting with a psychologist as they told us that they thought one of the things that was going to be necessary for one of our children who had come home at an older age was that we were going to need to have our our now you know school age um child with an age in double digits um, that we were going to have to co-sleep with that child and and that and that what we really needed to do was move their bed in and put it right up next to our bed and that and that all of us were going to kind of you know sleep there together and that was that was challenging it seemed ridiculous uh, but the truth is that that what we what they what they were telling us was that like like our this child's issues were so severe and there was such a profound uh, sense of anxiety and lack of trust that that they needed that um that attachment that hadn't happened early and and that child needed to be be able to wake up in the middle of the night and realize that we were going to be there that child needed to be close and accessible to the kind of comfort that we could provide and that if we were ever really going to be able to move forward that this was a step to really be able to show that sense of, of safety and security now we could have looked at that psychologist and said that's absurd and and of course we wouldn't do that but the truth is like what links would we not go to um Believing that that we're 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 moving well uh, in in a in the development of our child, but but more than that, that we're that we're opening a door that's going to help our child be able to really feel and and see and experience um, and and open themselves to uh, the love of Christ. And so the question I think we need to be be asking is if God wired us to attach well then then what what is the gospel significance of our attachment and what are the faith implications of of this work that we're doing and this quest that we're on to to remediate for poor and and disorganized attachment I think one other thing that we we have to factor in as we're thinking about um, discipling kids and and leading kids to to know and to follow and to grow in Jesus is is this this challenge as far as faith and, and moral development of kids that are coming from hard places and we have to realize that um, that this is is exponentially complicated um, not only because of their development of attachment but because of the downline effects of trauma and neglect and insecurity on their general development. There are there are things like the delays from institutionalization that that cause our kids to have challenges in in their ability to um, to experience faith and and to have moral judgment and those kind of things. Now, I'll explain that in 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 a little more detail in, in just a few minutes. But I think over time, you know, I've I've encountered parents who who really are, are super worried about children that have come home um, through adoption or, or kids that are in their home in care in foster care. Um, who are who are are like there's a they, they feel like there's a there's a darkness there's a preoccupation with dark things or evil things or evil imagery and and those sorts of things and they get a little bit freaked out over um, over that well I think there are reasons why and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes and about how how we can meet our kids in the right way um, and and but but we also really don't have anything to fear in that. 
Um, it can be, you know, compounded by facts by factors such as um, the, the the fact that it, a, a child's understanding of God or understanding of the things of faith can be complicated by the fact that they their executive functioning isn't um, isn't where we would expect it to be uh, on time in their development, and so they're literally struggling intellectually. And it's not just in their understanding of God, but it's in their understanding of everything that they're struggling to. Um, you know, cognitively to um, to get their their you know their their minds in the right play, place. Um, but we we just want to. Um, I, I just really want to affirm to you the idea that that as we're working to to build attachment, to build security, as we're working to um, to to help our children with um, security issues and to to. Uh, to heal from the consequences of neglect, as we're seeking to it, to administer uh, to 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 stand in the gap for challenges that have um, th- that are compounding, like the lack of reasoning and executive function. That that ultimately those are things that have have great spiritual consequences, but also want us to take great great comfort in the fact that God cares about those things, and that where we are active, God is even more active, and that and that when we look in the face. Of this and see an impossible struggle that we see just the kind of place where God can come and meet us and work and do amazing things. I mean, think about it. John chapter three, Jesus, you know, Jesus says to Nicodemus, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone that is born in the spirit. We don't understand the transformation that happens in salvation. We don't understand all that God does and, and how God is active. And so Nicodemus is, is, is in wonder at this idea that Jesus has told him that he has to be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, how in the world can I do that? And Jesus is saying, don't wonder that, that you can't figure out in your mind how to do this because this is is the work of God. This is the work of the Spirit. You're going to be that that to to be saved, to be in Christ, is to be born of the Spirit. And and you're not going to understand this any more than you're going to be able to to grasp the wind that's blowing around you. John chapter six, he says, "No one can come come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day." Um, verse forty five. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Um, and so we have this promise that um, that that the role of bringing a child to salvation is a role that God is active in. It's a process that God is active in, and that we can trust Him. But God has given us a, an opportunity um, to be agents of His and to work in this and to and, and to do good things in the lives of our children. Um, and 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 that and that family is ultimately the institution or the thing that God has instituted to be the primary vehicle of establishing basic trust in the life of a child. And so under normal circumstances, when the attachment cycle is completed consistently, children develop an overall basic sense that the world's a good and predictable place, that they can relax and trust other people. Um, and, and then, and then when, when, when we as parents extend that attachment by providing strength and safety and security and appropriate discipline and healthy nurture, we're ultimately laying down the tracks that make it easier for a child to conceive of and to accept that 
that God is a loving Heavenly Father who is just the greater fulfillment of what they've experienced in an imperfect earthly father. But when it's gone wrong, we have to work hard or we can work hard in order to 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 help a child to grow and in order for um, for that to have implications in ultimately a child, um, you know, beginning to follow Jesus. So so when we when we break it down, then like what are the things like what do we do? So at any age, when we've seen something go wrong with attachment, when we've seen something go wrong at this at this fundamental level of safety and security, what do we do as adoptive parents and foster parents in order to in order to support our kids in this journey? Well, number one, we have to work on attachment, and, and the fact is that we don't we don't need to um, that we need to build trust and predictability and stability in in the lives of our children who did not receive that on time in their development because they're and, and we need to do it not just because it's a good thing to do for our children but but because it, it has kingdom implications um, we're, we're not working on attachment just to help our children to live well in this life we're working hard to help them be in a place where um, where they're going to they're going to be in a place to make Jesus their king and and so that means not dismissing the things that that we're that we're being told and the thing we're, things that we're being coached to it means it means being long suffering in 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 pursuing uh, attachment in our kids even when they're rejecting it and even when it seems like we're not getting anywhere. Why? Because it's that important. Number two, we need to pray like our our kids' lives depend on it, and and the reason we do that as as parents is because they do depend on it. Um, we have to realize that the healing that has to take place in our children is beyond us. Um, we need to realize that we need the help and the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the midst of what can really be um, a, a very frustrating and and at times a very draining and seemingly hopeless journey. Um, adoption's a spiritual battle, and we've got to be armed by the spirit in order to in order to engage it at the end of the day the devil doesn't want kids to be redeemed he doesn't want them under the influence of the gospel he doesn't want them to become disciple makers and he's pulled out all the stops to reduce the likelihood that they will become any of these including um, by by being an agent of and 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 by producing circumstances through people that that have that have led to the trauma that our kids have experienced Without the sustaining comfort of the Holy Spirit, we're going to die doing this, and our kids are likely not going to be brought to the true freedom and to the true life that that can be found in Jesus if if we're not if we're not praying consistently and praying hard. I'll, I'll just say parenthetically that this is one of the places where where uh, my wife Denise and I have really. Um, like this is a place where where we realize at times we have failed. We were we were people who cultivated great prayer relationships and, and a great extended prayer network when we were in the process of adopting our children. But it was only later, after getting our children home, that we realized that that we we really um, we needed the prayer of those people that were a part of our prayer network a lot more after we got home than than while we were in the adoption process. And and so while we were blogging and telling people what was going on and 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 listing prayer requests and having people you know just really bear with us along through the journey, um, 
we kind of let that network of people dissipate once we got home because now we were getting back to normal. What we really have realized in in successive years is is that we were when we got home we were just getting out of the starting blocks, and and that and that that was the time when we needed um, we needed people interceding on our behalf on a regular basis. And and so I would say to you, don't do that. I would say to you, if you have done that, to to do the work of 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 getting connected to people so that so that you can begin to have more people praying for you number three thing I think and this is this is particularly talking about some of the cognitive consequences um, we need to live faith in front of our kids in tangible ways Deuteronomy 6 um, you know God presents to Israel this way of passing down the faith and 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 God commands parents to pass the faith to their children he says you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign to your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates basically what God is saying is that you're supposed to take the the story and 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 the and, and, the, and the trappings of the faith, and, and you're supposed to talk about that all the time while you're going about your normal life. God didn't say to the people, start a Sunday school, <laughs> start a program at church. That's where your kids are supposed to be discipled. He's saying, no, talk about it when you're walking along the road. Talk about it when you sit down. Talk about it when you rise up. Talk about it when you leave your house. Talk about it when you come back. Wear it like your clothes. Paint it over your doorpost. Like, like let there not be a place in in your life where you're where you're not talking about your faith and and you're not giving your kids a, the reason for the hope that you have and so what we need to really be looking for is is not specialized discipleship opportunities we need to be looking for normal points in our lives where we can continue to explain to our kids who Jesus is and what he's done and 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 like ultimately um, what that means to us and 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 what that what that has resulted in for us uh, number next is is we need to we need to be really careful in in the way that we approach our kids that we we need to tell their story and we need to tell the story and, and so what I mean by that is that that we want to you know we want to help kids to know that that you know Although there are there are t- tough and difficult things that are a part of their story, that we can also trace God's providential hand in their story and and in their inclusion in our families. We don't want to over romanticize their story, um, but but we but we do want to point to the fact that that God cares for them and that we can see that in their story and we can see that's consistent with the gospel and and that that God has always had an agenda from the very beginning of time. Um, to provide for us and and to redeem us, and that that we're sharing that with them in age appropriate ways. One of my favorite remembrances of of our our first, first son who we adopted and who came home when he was eighteen months old is when he was a little fellow, probably you know four three and a half four years old for a while. Um, we used to have a, a really similar nightly ritual he would come bounded into our room before he you know before we would put him down for bed Uh, my wife and I would would crawl up in the bed and he'd come jump up in the bed right between us and he would ask the same thing of us every single night he would say tell me the story of how we got me and and then we would sit there and, and we would talk to him about 
particular parts of his story, and we would talk about the the process of, of moving toward adoption, and we would talk about when we met him for the first time, and we'd talk about the people that we met along the way, and we'd talk about how God moved circumstances and changed things in order to, for us to be there at the right time in order to adopt him, and, and, and about how God had provided for our family, and about what our trip was like coming home, and about what it looked like for us to to, to begin to be a family. And we tell those stories over and over and over again, um, being able to reassure him about God's God's providential hand in his life, about God's provision for him, God's attention to him. But, but also, um, we'd be able to work in aspects of, but that's who the character of our God is. And, and this is what God has done for us in, in Christ. And, and to, to give that, uh, that piece of that heritage to him. And so, and then the last thing I think that we, we want to do is we want to be ready to use simple tools. And so, for those of you that are in the process of international adoption, one of the things you're going to realize is, uh, and you're probably maybe already in the midst of it, if you're not there or if you brought a child home, you can identify with this. Your children are going to have to learn the language. They're going to have to learn English. And what better way to teach them that than, um, than by a catechism, like a simple catechism. There's a series of books. You can find them on Amazon called My First Book. Uh, and and those little, these little My First Book books are little short catechism statements that you can, you know, ask a question and then get an answer. And it's a great way just to practice English with your kids. Um, there's a there's a, a book that I've become very fond of called um, the Donut Date Journal, and it's by a guy named Chap Bettis. And and really, it's uh, it, it's it's written for parents of older children and teenagers who who want to have a 10 15 minute intentional moment with their kids once a week um to focus and and to talk about um, the things of the Lord, and so He gives discussion starters and questions and things for you to do, um, basically over a donut. So, like a Saturday morning kind of time with one of your children, where you can focus with them. We live in a world where um, th- the statistic is that the average father in America spends less than four minutes a week in in um, in, in purposive conversation, intentional conversation um, with their teenage kids. Um, So you take out all the, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? What time are you going to be home? Um, do you have gas in the car kind of conversations and, and, and you get rid of all the functional communication and you get down to like heart level, real um, face-to-face communication with our kids. And, and the truth is that we're struggling to do that as a people. Well, you know, one of the great ways that we can, can, cultivate those conversations is by setting aside some time with our kids and using a help like the Donut Date Journal to be something where where we bring up um, those those stories that point us toward the gospel, but also um, you know create those Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter six kind of moments where uh, where we're intentionally talking as we go um, about the Lord. Um, so a few other things, just a few kind of random topics. One, what do you what do you do when a child is coming to your home and there's a there's a difference of religion? Um, and and I, I think we have to understand first of all that when a child comes and they've been raised in a faith context that's different than ours, um, that it's it's part of them and it's part of their culture. 
um, in, in adoption and fostering, we put a significant emphasis on on grieving the loss of culture um, and the and the difficulty of adopting a new culture and that transition. And so we have to realize that that, that journey as it relates to faith for many kids is not like turning on or, or turning off a light switch, that part of what they're going to grieve, part of what they're going to struggle to let go of is is a is is a faith that um that that is like they're they're going to probably have to give up or they're going to have to give up something that they've that they've believed in and something that they've placed their trust in and something that they perceive that, that's that's part of their identity and part of their culture um and and so we need to understand that the, that the development of faith in Christ, from that perspective, it's a journey, um, and and that and that it, it's probably going to take a while. But we also need to have the confidence that their development of faith in Christ is ultimately a supernatural transaction. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can force, um, and it's not something that's just merely a product of the environment. We have to trust the fact that that the faith that we have in Christ and what we're living out is substantial, and that our kids. Will see that and experience that if we're just faithful um, to to have them um, in a place where where they're experiencing the faith uh, the faith of their family and the faith of others. Um, and and so like what are what are some things that you can do? Well, I think families can insist that their kids are part of the church with them to one to some extent. Why? Because because this like the the, the experience of our of our faith, the experiencing of walking with Jesus, is something we do together as a family. I think you can insist on respectful behavior, um, but ultimately, older kids, you can also let them know that that you're not insisting that they have faith. Um, you're just insisting that they be respectful and that they're going to participate like part of the rest of your family in the faith environments that you're, that you're in. Why? Because we have to acknowledge that the environment that they've been in has had a profound shaping influence in them, but the environment that they're now in can, and 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 you have the truth of and and the um, and and the reality of a living Christ and and the work of the Spirit on on your side. And so what they need to see is the authenticity of our faith as their parents and and the healthy faith of um, the community of faith that we're a part of. And, and that's going to be the most, really the most powerful and important apologetic um, that we're going to gonna be able to have for our kids. Again. I think I think many people struggle, uh, many families with with seeing in their kids um, a lack of compassion and a, and a lack of empathy. I, I remember that one of the things we were told about toddler bonding and and about um, about bringing a bringing a toddler home out of an institutional environment is that um, that. No matter how our son reacted to a bump on the head or a scrape on the knee, we needed to react with comfort and care. And, and y'all, like that was weird. The first few times we did it, he would he would go, and he was really top heavy. He had a big head for um, for his age and for his size. And so, being the fact that he was he looked like a little bit of a living bobblehead doll, he would just walk and fall over. He would run and just fall over. And a lot of times he hit his head because that was the heaviest thing that was you know headed toward the ground. And so he would he would walk and b- 
bump his little head and and then he'd just jump right back up like nothing happened and and then so then we would come running over and we would just make over him and kiss the bump and rub on it and hug him and all this stuff and he's looking at us like we're crazy like why in the world are are you doing this to me so pretty soon, over and over and over, we kept doing this, and he would fall, and and then he, you know, we would come and we, you know, we would make over him and love on him and you know, kiss that boo boo and and then put him back on his feet and he'd fall again. And what we noticed little by little is that that he would fall and he would bump his head and then he 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 began to look for us and he began to anticipate where we're going to come and where we're going to behave that way and then it was it was even funnier because he would he would run and he would fall and he would hit his head and and he would he would cry like like he'd been hit in the head with a baseball bat <laughs> why because because ultimately he had learned not to cry and not to expect empathy um but then he learned to expect empathy and nurture um, because because he was consistently being given empathy and nurture. And I think that's uh, that's a reality that our kids many times don't give compassion and empathy because they've not received compassion and empathy. We build this sense of both giving and receiving compassion and giving and receiving empathy through repeated intentional efforts to extend compassion and to extend empathy in the face of indifference. Sometimes even in the face of hostility. We're being the hands and feet of Jesus when we when we help and, and ultimately we're helping them to to understand and to and to meet and to encounter Jesus. Jesus when we're providing this kind of care into our kids' lives. Moreover, you've got to, we have to realize that, that sometimes our kids' rejection of us and our compassion and our empathy is to test the boundaries. They reject it because they want to make sure that we're still going to be consistent and we're still going to come and deliver it um, whether or not... Um, whether or not they react to it because, because they want to know, is, is this for real? Sometimes we see kids that are that are suffering from a, a, a profound lack of remorse, and, and we worry about the kind of the, sp- the the spiritual things that are underlying that, and 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 worry. Well, you got to remember that kids that have come out of institutional environments, in particular, their whole social economy has been formed by unmet needs. Um, you know, ultimately, rarely think about it. Where do people rarely do people feel bad about the things that they've done in the name of survival? And so much of what our kids have learned. And so much of what they've experienced is um, they've they've done these things ultimately in order to survive. And so we've got to, to orient them to a completely new way of thinking, and we've got to we've got to hold in perspective that we can't expect too much too soon. Modeling remorse and forgiveness and even repentance in our own lives in front of them um, in intentional ways is really significant. And then finally, I want to want to kind of address the elephant in the room for some, and that's this idea of the identification with evil. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, there are kids that sometimes we, you know, we perceive that they are just way too into and way too connected to um, things that are dark and evil and um and, and, and I believe that identification with evil is at least in part a security and trust thing as well. Many parents are scared by this when it surfaces in the life, lives of their kids, and and 
and they and they rush to the worst explanation. And so we have people that are that are worrying about things like de- demonic possession and and satanic influence and all that. And while that could be true, um, most of the time I don't think it is true. I think what what we see is kids who have experienced significant, consistent trauma that have learned that that bad things are the only identifiable, consistent, dependable thing in life, and and that. That, but that when something's bad, they cling to it because it's reliable and because it's predictable. And, and many times they identify them, themselves as bad. And, and so there's a projective identification that, that they're, they're, they're seeing those things uh, that, that they believe are bad about themselves and they project that on to other people and to other things and to, to other circumstances in their lives. And, and ultimately they begin to see the world in, through a bad light, through a bad set of lenses because, because that's what they've been able to count on. That's, been, that's what's been reliable and that's what's been predictable. And what's the remedy for that? The, re- the remedy for that is consistency. The remedy for that is prayer. And the remedy of that is demonstrating the stability of Christ to them. And so I hope this has offered a little bit of insight, maybe a little bit of hope to you as as you think about the whys of how we parent, about what we need to press into. Um, and, and, and finally, I would just say, um, in the midst of this, in, uh, in the day-to-day struggle, don't give up. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Think about the depths of the circumstances of where many of our kids have come from and and the amount of, of damage and the amount of difficulty that we're having to try to overcome in order to, um, to help our kids um, to, to come back to a place that, that God intended for them to be from the very beginning um, and, through, through what was intended for the family to do at a very early age. And so I hope this has been encouraging to you. Would love the opportunity to talk further if it would be helpful. Um, I can be found on Lifeline's website. My email address is rick.morton at lifelinechild.org uh, and would love to help you or to help your church or to help friends of yours um, as, as they're seeking to, to find answers and find pathways uh, in order to lead kids that have come from hard places um, to know and to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.